Good morning. morning. Welcome. We're glad that you are here this morning. I want to ask you a question as we get started. Have you ever thought about how people get their news? In fact, have you ever thought about where you get your news? People get their news from all kinds of places. If you're at one end of the political spectrum, you probably get your news from one or two sources. If you're at the other end of the spectrum, you probably don't listen to that source. You get your news from another source. I actually get my news from a soon-to-be-extinct source called a newspaper. (laughs) Anybody else still reading newspapers besides me? Yeah, a couple people, okay. But think about where you get your news. You know, maybe it's a particular station, maybe it's network news, maybe it's, you know, the the radio, maybe it's the internet, social media. In fact, I want to do something this this morning. Um, I want you to tell me where you get your news, just because I know how much you all love to do this. I'm going to count to three, and I want you to say out loud where you get your news. You know, television, um, newspaper, whatever. You got it? Everybody ready? One, two, three. Perfect. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for playing along. I don't know what you said, actually. But I was hoping, believe it or not, I was hoping that I would hear the Bible. In fact, in particular, I was hoping someone would yell, Jesus. (laughs) Even though I know I didn't set that up for you to think in those terms, I'm going to ask you to think in those terms now. Because I think we forget sometimes that Jesus came as a news announcer. Jesus came bringing news. My mother-in-law's favorite newsman is Lester Holt. You know, good-looking guy, confident, the kind of guy you can trust. My favorite newsman actually is Jesus. Matthew writes in Matthew chapter 4. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria. Jesus was in the business of bringing news. And not any news, he was in the business of bringing good news. Have you ever noticed what little good news you hear these days? It seems like all the news is negative. I heard that there's a saying among um, journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. Meaning that, you know, people's bad news kind of gets their attention. But I think good news still gets people's attention as well. I'll give you a little bad news, good news uh, uh, situation here. Here's the bad news. Every day in our world, people die. In fact, statistics say worldwide, two people die every second. It's 120 people a minute. In this calendar year, over 56 million people will die from every uh, cause imaginable. Violence, accidents, disasters, suicide, disease, old age. Here's a sign of the times. In the last 18 months, 154 people have died from selfie-related accidents. Here's the good news. One day, a man died for you, a good man, a very good man. The best man died a hard death, very hard death, the worst death, out of love for you, a very great love for you. 
You know, you hear people talk a lot about, um, why are we here? What's our purpose? Are we just the result of some cosmic accident, or, or did an all-knowing and all-loving and all-powerful God put us here for a reason? Or is that idea nuts? Paul would say this to the church in Corinth. For the message of the cross is foolishness. <laughs> it's nuts. It's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it's the power of God. In that verse, Paul really divides all of humanity into two categories. Those who are perishing and those who are being saved. And I don't think he's trying to be uh, a fatalist. I don't think he's trying to, to, to uh, you know put someone, uh, uh, intimidate someone or manipulate someone with an emotional threat. I think he's just making an observation. You're either moving towards God, you're either moving towards what is good and holy and noble, or you're moving in the other direction. We have talked at length this year about being a witness for Jesus. And we've talked about it so much because it really is good news. I mean, it's the message that everyone needs to hear. But another reason we've talked about it is because the reality is the clock's ticking. People die. About 360 people have died worldwide just since I've stood up here this morning. And again, I don't want to be morbid, it's just the reality. We have to take every advantage that we have to tell people about Jesus. Now, we're going through the book of Acts. We have made it to Acts chapter 22. You can go ahead and be opening up your Bibles to Acts chapter 22. In Acts chapter 22, we see Paul is going to tell his story. He's going to tell his Jesus story, which is exactly what we have been talking about this entire calendar year. Paul is going to do exactly what we've been challenging each other to do. He's going to tell his story. He's going to talk about how he came to meet Jesus, how he came to know Jesus, and what Jesus has done in his life. And he's going to tell it to a group of people that you might think, Paul, maybe you ought to keep your mouth shut this time. Now, I said it's really good news, but not everyone hears it as good news. Acts chapter 22. Let's get caught up. You remember two weeks ago we were uh, talking about Paul being in Jerusalem. He was in the middle of a riot. In fact, he was sort of the cause of the riot. The Jews there wanted to kill him. The Roman soldiers came and simultaneously rescued and arrested Paul, and they're about to take him into the barracks, and Paul stops and says, can I say something to these people who are trying to kill me? And the commander says, go ahead. And so Acts chapter 22, verse 1, this is Paul speaking to the crowd. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, and brought up in this city. Under Gamaliel, I was thoroughly trained in the law of our fathers and was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison. As also the high priest and all the council can testify. I even obtained letters from them and their brothers in Damascus and went there to bring those people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. Paul starts off by telling these people, Hey, I'm one of you. In fact, I used to be just like you, highly educated, thoroughly trained. I'm just like you. I was just like you, only more so. I mean, I was sold out to fight the, the people who were following Jesus. 
I was on the fast track to holiness. In fact, not only was I a holy man, I was also a hit man. I went and I found people following Jesus. I arrested them. I put them to death. I, I threw pleading men and crying women into prison. I split up families. It didn't matter to me. In fact, I took this thing all the way to Damascus. Verse 6. About noon as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I'm Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you'll be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by the hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. Now that should sound very familiar to you. <laughs> because we looked at that event which had actually happened back in Acts chapter 9. Now here in chapter 22, Paul is telling his Jesus story. He's going to tell it again, by the way, in verse 26, or chapter 26. And it's interesting, as he's telling this story, so far the Jews haven't interrupted him. They, they haven't really reacted to this part of the story yet. You know, Paul says, say, I, I went and I was blinded and um, I talked to Jesus, whom you say was a troublemaker, who you think is dead. I actually talked to him and I was blinded and then I was miraculously, you know, I could regain my sight. They don't seem to react to that very much. Paul continues. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our fathers has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You'll be my witness to all men of what you have seen and heard. And now what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Now, that's not the end of Paul's story. He goes on to tell him about going back to Jerusalem, and in a trance, God tells him to leave Jerusalem. Uh, God tells Paul to give his testimony. That's actually the, words that, the word that uh, Jesus uses, give your testimony to everyone. But, of course, not everyone is going to want to hear it. Skip down to verse 21. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. The crowd listened to Paul until he said this. Then they raised their voices and shouted, Rid the earth of him! He's not fit to live! As they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the commander ordered Paul to be taken into the barracks. The crowd listens as Paul tells his story until he gets to the part about the Gentiles are included. And then the crowd goes wild. Then they remember why they're mad at him in the first place. Kill him. He doesn't deserve to live. Now the commander realizes, I've lost control here. This thing is getting out of hand. He tells the, the soldiers, get him out of here. Where Paul is taken into the barracks and really for all practical purposes falls into the machinery of the Roman judicial system really for the rest of his life. But in this passage, in chapter 22... We see Paul telling his story, and we see Paul doing a couple things that uh, are really important in his storytelling experience. And I think we need to be reminded 
of just how important they are as we think about telling our story as well. Let me share with you just two things that are they're obvious, but yet they're, they're so significant. First is this. Paul uses his story to share who Jesus is. Now, it's Paul's story, but without a doubt, Jesus is the focus of the story, right? I mean, the star of the story is Jesus. The subtext of Paul's story is Jesus is alive. And Jesus is just who he said he was. And, and Paul uses the words of Ananias, and, and he uses the words of Jesus himself uh, to speak and to sneak a little bit of truth, in, kind of in a, some subtle ways, into his story as he's telling it to this very hostile crowd. Look back at what Paul says in verse 14. Then he said, the God of our fathers. Now, when he said the God of our fathers, that got their attention because he's talking about the God of Abraham. And he's talking about the God of Moses. He's talking about the God of David, the God who spoke to Noah, the God who spoke to the prophets. That's the God he's talking about. They're paying attention to that God. The God of our fathers has chosen you, Paul. He's chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. Paul identifies Jesus as the righteous one. Paul identifies Jesus as the Messiah. And I don't want you to miss the fact that Paul is talking to a bunch of Jews. He's talking to a bunch of rule keepers. He's talking to a bunch of people who are really interested and really pay attention to doing it right. They're rule followers. And again, that's why they're mad at Paul in the first place. He broke the rules. You know, he's speaking against Moses which he wasn't, and he brought Gentiles into the temple, which he didn't. He's not doing it right. He's breaking the rules. And Paul uses his past to say, I used to be you. I know exactly where your mind is. I used to be all about the rules. In fact, in Philippians 3, he would say, as to keeping the law, what he called himself was faultless. I was faultless. You want to talk about somebody who could keep the rules? I was better than anybody you've ever seen. But then I met Jesus. And there's a big difference between trusting in my ability to do it right and knowing the righteous one. Amen. Paul tells this mob, being good, it'll never be good enough. The law will never get you to where sacrificial love will take you. He's not talking about their sacrificial love. He's talking about the love of Jesus. So Paul's speaking to all these people who think they're right because they've kept the rules. They do it right. And Paul says, I used to be you. I used to be that guy. But now I realize without Jesus, it means nothing. Without Jesus, I'm lost. You know, we sometimes kind of convince ourselves that, that only bad people are lost. And people are lost, they're bad. People are lost in their badness. <laughs> Paul would say, you can be lost in your goodness as well. God's using Paul's story to tell us, you know, our Heavenly Father only has problem children. You and I, we're problem children. There's only one perfect child. He died for us. You can't be so bad that you can't find salvation, but we can't be so good that we don't need salvation either. We need Jesus. Which brings me to Paul's second point. First, he uses his story to show who Jesus is, and then he uses his story to 
share what Jesus can do. Paul's blinded on the road to Damascus. Ananias comes, he meets with Paul. Paul's sight is restored. He talks to Paul about Jesus. And then look again at at verse 16. And now what are you waiting for? Get up and be baptized and wash your sins away, calling on his name. Every word in that verse is just dripping with significance. Paul makes a really bold claim to a group of people who knew what it took to have their sins forgiven. They were the rule keepers. They knew what had to be done if you wanted your sins forgiven. You had to go to the temple. You had to sacrifice an animal. You had to find a priest, a day of atonement, that whole thing. That's what you had to do if you wanted to take care of your sins. And that really didn't take care of it. That just kind of rolled things forward for a while and for long. You got to go back to the temple and a priest and an animal sacrifice. They knew how to take care of sins. And here's Paul saying, oh, there's a better way. There is a more perfect cleansing awaiting you. It's from the perfect lamb. It's from the righteous Son of God who took our place. Only Jesus can take care of sin. Jesus the sinless took the place of me, the sinner. Jesus the innocent took the place of me, the guilty. On the cross, Jesus' blood paid for my sins, paid for your sins as well. So, in baptism, we call on His name. Again, verse 16, a really important verse. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on his name. Let me take just a second or two and see if I can break that verse down for you a little bit. Let me see if I can put that in some context where you can understand what Paul is really saying here. Um, It's an important verse. I've done a ton of research on this verse. Let me put it in terms that you can understand um, so you can kind of take something from it. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. I just wish the Bible was easier. I wish it was more plain. I wish it would just say, here's what you need to do. Because it's confusing, and I don't know what to do. Now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, wash your sins away, calling on the name of the Lord. I, I can't make it any clearer than that. I can't make it any more plain. That verse tells me what to do. It tells me what's going to happen when I do it. It tells me why it's going to happen. What should I do? Get up. Be baptized. What's going to happen? Your sins are going to be washed away. How is that possible? In the powerful name of Jesus. Now what are you waiting for? Get up. Be baptized and wash your sins away. Calling on his name. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul, for making it that clear. You know, we want to connect people to Jesus. And we want to connect people to each other as well. But I don't have to tell you, we live in a culture that's going to chip away at your value system. We live in a culture that's going to mock your commitment. And they're going to question your lifestyle. That's why Peter would write in 1 Peter 3, But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. The Apostle Paul was always ready to give an answer, wasn't he? Always ready to talk about Jesus. Acts 22 proves that. And again, you kind of wonder, why didn't Paul lay low? 
I mean, why didn't Paul just keep his mouth shut? And here's a mob that wants to kill him. Why did he tell his story to them? I think he told his story to that group of people because he knew that group of people needs Jesus. And I think he told his story to that group of people because he knew we needed to hear his story again as well. We needed some more example of of how to tell our story because so many people don't know Jesus. Let me wrap up by showing you a picture. It's a picture from a year ago, uh, summer. Um, I'm going to show it to you, and when you first see it, you'll probably chuckle. And then if you look at it a little longer, it might be a little bit confusing. And once you figure out what's really going on in the picture, if you're like me, you're going to find it's a little bit troubling. This is a picture taken from Hawaii in the summer of 2018. In the background, you see the volcanic eruptions that occurred there that year. The most devastating uh, volcanic eruptions that occur on the island there in uh, decades. 200 homes destroyed. Over 3,000 people displaced. Over $500 million in damage. In the foreground, you see a couple guys playing golf. (laughs) This guy in orange, he must be having the round of his life, right? I mean, he's not going to let anything stop him from finishing this round of golf. I don't know what you think about when you look at that picture. Here's what I sort of think. What's wrong with that guy? Doesn't he know that there's danger? Shouldn't he be doing something? Shouldn't he be making some preparations? Because what I see is a guy who is so obsessed with doing what he's always done, so consumed with living his life like he's always lived his life, that he seems to be completely oblivious to the danger that's around him. Now, let me make that picture a little bit more personal. You know who that guy in orange is? That's your next door neighbor. That's the guy who works beside you at the office. That's your waitress. That's your boyfriend. That's your girlfriend. That's your buddy at the gym. That's your dad. That's your son, your daughter. And for whatever reason, they just seem oblivious to the obvious. For whatever reason, they don't have a clue that they are headed toward a Christless eternity. Or maybe they do realize it. Maybe they've just made a conscious decision to turn their back on God because they don't believe the Bible is real. Or they don't believe Christians care because they know you're a Christian and you've never had a spiritual conversation with them. They've come to the conclusion that it must not be that important. Or it must not be true. But we know it is. It is true. Would you be willing to introduce your good friends to the one you claim is your best friend? You know, God puts us in all kinds of places, all kinds of settings. And we can either blend in or we can stand out. We can either stay quiet or we can speak up with gentleness and respect, 
may we choose to speak up. May we choose to say something. And by the way, over 4,000 people have died since I've stood up here this morning. There are people dying without Jesus. We need to be courageous. We need to be bold. But we also need to know that an unsaved world isn't looking for a know-it-all. And an unsaved world isn't looking for somebody to quote a bunch of scripture at them. An unsaved world isn't looking for an argument or not looking for a debate. What they're looking for is someone who cares. They're looking for someone who will love them. May we love right where we are. And may, be, may we be willing to tell people our Jesus story, to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that lies within us. That's been our challenge this year. That's our challenge again going into a new week. Let's stand and sing.